Well, welcome to another episode of the More Than A Game podcast. I'm your host, Dan Walls, and thank you once again for joining us as we dive into the realms of life, of leadership, and uh, we do so by looking through the lens of Australian basketball. On the show with me today to help me do all this is and to share his story is a three-time NBL champion with the Sydney Kings, a uh, three-time champion in the New South Wales Waratah Basketball League and uh, he's done a great deal of uh, other things off the court including coaching. Now, I'm speaking of BJ Carter. BJ, welcome to the More Than A Game podcast. Ah, Dan, thanks for having me, mate. I'm excited. Yeah, it's great to have you with us, mate. Um, yeah, yeah. So what have you been doing since uh, you finished playing? Um, Where has life taken you since you finished um, playing? Oh, mate, it's taken me to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and everywhere in between. It's, um, yeah, yeah, finishing playing. It's, uh, mate, you've started it off on a, on a, on a tough question. It's (laughs) finishing playing wasn't, wasn't really my choice. So Mm. to be honest, it it took me to the, I mentioned it to the lowest of lows. Mm. Um, you know, finishing my career, not by choice, by someone making really poor decisions mm. and not really expecting, not really thinking about how that's going to affect other people's lives that really affected mine. And mm. um, yeah, just put me back into the workforce and put me back into a, into reality of um, my career's over. And mm. yeah, we started working a job. And um, like I said, it was a reality check that, um, Basketball, yeah, basketball was over. Um, Bill Tomlinson, you had on. That's mm. um, a guy I'll always remember for the for what he did for me on the basketball court. But it's more mm. so what he did for me when my career finished was he was the one person that picked up the phone mm. and kind of said, "I can help you with the job if you need." Mm. And mate, I'll never forget it because the phone stops ringing when you when you stop taking your bag into into the basketball court, and that's yeah. one thing that professional athletes don't realise is. You get lots of pats on the back when you when you're playing, but as soon as you stop bringing your suitcase or your uh, your your training bag into the venue, your, your phone stops ringing and people stop giving a crap. And that's just yeah. the honest truth, you know. Yeah. And he really. didn't. He rang me and he had a, a few mates that um had a had a job going of putting up putting up blinds, mm. and I had a pregnant wife at the time, and we had bought our first yeah. townhouse, and I was. Mate, I need anything. So these guys yeah. were unreal and gave me a job. And I never used a drill before. Right. I had an old man, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to hammer anything in. I didn't know what timber was. I didn't. <laughs> so yeah, I did this job and and hated every minute of it and cried every day to be honest. But yeah. I look back now and I think it was a great job and mm. it's a, it would have been a great career to keep him in. But mm. I was like, I was a professional athlete, and now mm. I'm putting blinds up in people's houses and no one cares about me and. Yeah. It was it was hard. So luckily enough, got to then go to Ballarat and and get a semi professional job down there and work in the stadium down there, and that was good just to get out of Sydney and and get out and, mm. and then came back and stayed in sport for a while and sports administration more specifically and mm. tried to stay into coaching a little bit. Um, had a good job about two years ago in in coaching and unfortunately that. That was run by a crook as well. He was a bad, bad dude. And yeah. just, you know, I just got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm sick of this. I need to go out and get into an industry that mm. where it's safe. And currently yeah. now, I'm in the construction industry and working at a landfill and mate driving heavy machine and, and mm. doing a bit of client relations. And 
mm. been there two years and I actually really, really enjoy it. There's, there's yeah. no pressure mm. um, through all this COVID and this pandemic that's, you know, it's the one time I actually sat back and with my wife now and said, I'm glad I'm not in sport. Mm. Like, it, you know, it, it's been so fickle for me the last few years and in the last part of my career that my current job hasn't wavered and, mm. I, and I've been able to keep food on the table and the mortgage repayment going. Yeah. Three kids now. So, I'm, um, yeah, that's, that, that, that's kind of, the, I gave you kind of the quick version, but that, that, that's yeah. where I'm at at the moment. And, yeah. And happy though. I'm happy. Absolutely, mate. That's a key thing, and we'll touch on the uh, seven seasons in the NBL in just a moment. But um, yeah, I guess he dabbled in the coaching afterwards as well, and he spoke uh, briefly about the transition there. Um, a lot of the conversations I've had with some of the ex-players on the podcast have been talking about the transition from uh, professional athlete into, I guess, the working world. Um, was that a difficult transition to make? And you mentioned how it all ended for you in the professional sense anyway. Um, I guess, you know, we talked about this before we started, um, it sort of, sort of shows what really matters in life. Um, so yeah, how was that transition for you, um, coming out of playing professionally? Mate, it's, it, it's, it, it was the hardest thing I've probably ever had to do on, mm. um, and it's one of the, it, it, it stayed with me for a long time and it probably stays with, with me now. Like, um, mm. I dibble dabbled in a little bit. Like my ex-wife would be able to tell you how hard it was at the time mm. of what we went through, and now my current wife would tell you how hard it's been, like adjusting. Mm. Um, and they're, they're in sport in general. I know this is a basketball kind of podcast, but mm. basketball there is nothing done. And I'm just being honest. In the NBL, mm. from my personal experience, there is nothing done for that transition from a mm. professional athlete into when your career ends yeah. and stops. There is nothing. Mm. And I, I, I question how much is actually done in, in games that are a bit bigger, you know, footy and cricket yeah. and whatever, you know, yeah. AFL. Because mm. like I, I said, and I, I've stolen that analogy, but once you stop bringing your training bag into, into the court or into the, the, the footy training, mm. people, people stop caring. Mm. You're not on the TV anymore. You're not earning big money anymore. And, and yeah. that, that's really, really sad. And, it's something I've thought about for a long time and I, I wish I got off my ass and kind of did it is I'd love to do some public speaking or some, some mm. talks to these teams, to the Cronulla Sharks or, or the Kings or whoever mm. about, hey, it's so cliche to hear you're gonna, you need something to back up after basketball, yeah. but it's not as simple as that. Mm. It, it's, the, it's, the men, it's the mental side of you, you can have your qualified accountant or you could have a teaching degree but once your career ends, and when it ends not on your terms, through a crooked owner, through a knee injury or whatever it is, and then you're, hey, oh, go be a teacher, go be an accountant, or go be a builder. Hmm. It's, it's, a rap, it's a quick change, and, and it's not easy. Hmm. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy for me that didn't necessarily have something to fall back on. I had basketball, and I had administration, and... Hmm. Like I said, I got an opportunity through Bill Tomlinson, but mm. um, I don't think anyone's prepared for that unless you retire on your own accord. Mm. You are mentally prepared. Hey, I'm going to I'm going to stop doing this. But but even in, in saying that, I, I think there's there needs to be more done. There needs to be more education and more things out there put in place to to help guys transition because it's it's hard, mate. And mentally, mm. it, it it got to me. It got me as like I said, as as low as 
I could be. And I don't think anyone would understand mm. how low I got, you know, Gorgian, the father figure of my life. He wouldn't have a clue. Mm. Bill Tomlinson, he wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. The players I played with, they wouldn't know how, how much that affected me because mm. it was done, you know. Mm. I had seven years, you mentioned it, and then mm. nothing. Mm. That's it. Yeah. So, hard one. It's really hard. For sure, mate. And it's understandable. I mean, I had, I can, I can relate somewhat. I've never made it to professional level, but for my whole life, from a 10-year-old up until about 22, 23, it was all about basketball and wanted to make it as a professional. And that was my identity, I guess. Like people would say, how's your basketball going? And you know, how are you doing at this and that? And it was all around basketball. So for me, um, it took a while to adjust to um, me not being the basketball, I guess. I'm not the end of basketballer anymore. So... So for a professional player who's made it their whole career and life trying to make it, they make it, and that's their whole life for a period of time, you can understand why it is so hard. And I've spoken to quite a few about that transition. But uh, the biggest thing I've found is um, the common denominator in all of those, and you mentioned it just then, the transition out of professional sport. The key thing they've got people through is having a mentor or people around them to pull them out or to process things with um, so how important was that for you, having people around you that just loved you and um, were actually there when you, you, know, you mentioned about people you know, not talking to you as soon as you weren't professional or whatever, uh, but those who did, um, how important was that in terms of getting you out of that, that rut? Uh, yes, super important. Mm. But uh, you're kind of touching on some some hard points, and you give me some hard questions here, and yeah. some stuff that <laughs> might you know get 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 me emotional. Is because yeah. you you talk about um, who was there for you. Not many people were. Wow. Not many people were. You know, the the phone stops ringing. The, the people at that time, a lot of the players, um, you know, Gorge went off to South Dragon, so he had his thing. You know, um, some of the players got other contracts, not not what they wanted, and, and they got dribs and drabs of kind of the the last piece of the pie because mm. of the timing that the Kings went down. But the mm. you know the Russell Hinders and Jason Smiths and uh, Mark Worthers, they all got another job, so to speak, mm. after playing, mm. um, which was great for them. But it was <laughs> it was me that I, I got nothing. And Rusty was awesome. He stayed in contact, you know. Um, but I, I, honestly, I, I, no yeah. one, no right. one. And that's why I'm a big fan. I'll always be grateful for Billy. And I actually only got to mm. tell him maybe a year ago when I bumped into him at, at a game was he was the one guy that picked up the phone yeah. and wasn't to say hello. It was to say, hey, man, I can help. Mm. And, and I look at my current life now and, and through the ups and downs I go through in life, who, who are the people that have always been around? And it's my mates. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the guys I played at Sutherland with. Yeah. They're, they're the guys I went away with on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Their families and their, their kids now. and mm-hmm. They're the ones that through playing at Sutherland as a 12-year-old, through mm-hmm. playing at the Kings, through going through hell as a, in my personal life or, or going through hell with the Kings, they're the ones that have been consistent. Mm-hmm picking up the phone and going, are you okay? You know, the Dean yeah. Morris's, the Brennan Gleason's, Blake Hendricks, Owen Johnson, mm. Robbie McKinley. Mm. Like, 
so they're the ones that are important to me in my life now. And, and, that, and that I do, I know this is a basketball podcast, but basketball, <laughs> there's a big sour taste in my mouth with basketball. It's just, yeah. it, I've had the, like I started it, you know, I started the podcast with, I've had the highest of highs, but I've also had mm. the lowest of lows and mm. the lowest of lows have hurt mm. and, and they've stayed with me. And I had a big chip on my shoulder for a long time, but it's, it's gone. Mm to an extent now but there is that pain there where i struggle mm. to watch i struggle to keep in contact with it and I, mm. um my life's about my, my kids now and what what they want to do and what they want to achieve yeah for sure mate that's that's great to hear yeah sorry to come out yeah so hard so early but i know <laughs> that your story has i guess that's the point of the podcast is to you know unearth these stories so you know particularly the season of life we're in is hard and people are going through tough times so if we can sort of take some of the lessons out of what you've learned and others have learned and um, applied to our own lives. I think um, it's only going to be beneficial. And and when I reflect on your career and um, having the opportunity to play alongside you for that one year, you know, I only played one game in ABA for the Sharks that year, but um, just going along the training and, and seeing how you operate. Um, one thing that stood out for me was resilience, number one, but also hard work and hard work ethic. And, and um, yeah, I'm guessing you've been able to apply that to life now and, um, that's a big thing I've been speaking about in this podcast, translating the lessons you've learned from sport or basketball at a professional level and applying that to uh, your life now. So how does that hard work ethic been able to translate into your life today? Um, oh, if, if I didn't have my current work ethic, I, I, yeah, I'd, be, I'd be struggling to find a job, to be honest. I, wasn't, mm. you know, I was a good student at school. I, I did my work. I just got to a point where basketball became too important for me, so I didn't do my homework. I didn't do the extra stuff at school, and, and I, that that's a tough lesson to learn when you become an adult mm. and you got you got to go and get a job. But mm. Gorgian always said to me, whether it was to me or whether it was to the team, you'll take your skills in basketball into the workforce once everything's finished. And I, mm. I actually didn't know what he meant. I was like, "What do you do layups at Woolies?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you work at Bunnings, do you do, you yeah. do X's and O's? Yeah. I didn't know what he meant. And I, finally, when I started to get jobs and I started to get a promotion or I started to get, you know, a, a pay rise or get given a work car, mm. I'm realizing, hang on, work, my hard work's paying off. They're seeing my hard work and the current mm. industry I'm in, you know, learning how to speak to people, you know, taking that from being captain of a basketball team or in the leadership group at, at the Kings, you know, I was lucky enough to captain the team three times mm. at the Kings. Mm. That was a huge thing for me to, to be able to do. But taking that yeah. and speaking to influential people, speaking to boomers, speaking to Jason Smith, who's come back from the Olympics and being able to relate, mm. that's what I've taken into the workforce. And someone's hot-headed or someone needs to calm down or someone needs to kick up the butt. It's how to speak to those people. And, and that's yeah. helped me big time in, in, in the workforce. Mm. And then ad, uh, adapting to what, what the workforce needs, what, what you need to be doing mm. and, and working, yeah, working hard enough that, that you are seen as, as a good worker and, yeah. and getting things to pay off. So yeah. if, I, and I, if I didn't have my mum working, you know, I grew up as a single, a single parent growing up mm. with just my mum. Mm. If I didn't watch her work two or three jobs and if someone offered her work, she said, yes, you know, I questioned if I would have that. So I'm, I'm like that now. If, if mm. someone needs me to work, I work and I provide yep. for my family, help provide for my family. Mm. My wife, she works full time as well. So yeah, 
try to instill that in the kids that you need to have good work ethic in anything that you do. Mm, that's great, mate. It's good to hear. Good lessons to be passing down. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, as I said, hard work ethic, resilient. Um, you went through a lot early on in your life. Um, you know, you mentioned your dad lost him pretty early in, in your life, and then I remember your um, junior career. You spoke about how um, you're quite short growing up and didn't make you know those teams early on, uh, represent your teams, but you eventually did. One of the coaches told told you you should have been a jockey or something like that. Yeah. I remember you mentioning that. Um, but yet you still made it. So where did this hard work ethic come from? Like, um, yeah, what instilled that in you? Do you think? Yeah, well, I mentioned my mum. I I've watched her work, you know, three jobs at a time and drive me and my sisters around to whatever we needed. Like, hmm. I recently got married last year, and I said at my wedding, said to my mum, I, I never ever, I never ever think what if, what if my dad was around, what if hmm. we were rich, because um, I don't regret or I don't look back at my upbringing and think, um, yeah, I don't think what if I, um, mm. I'm happy with my upbringing. It taught me a lot. Um, and if I didn't have the work ethic I've got, I wouldn't have done anything in basketball. You know, I didn't yeah. have the athletic ability. I wasn't tall. Um, it's my biggest fear for my, for my kids at the moment, especially my sons. I don't want him to be small growing up. It's not easy. You know, I mean, there's worse things in the world, but yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, mm. But I, just perseverance, and I, I just wanted—I just wanted something, um, and that was to be the best basketballer I could be. And mm. through a bit of luck and through perseverance, I, you know, I was able to kind of don that Kings jersey, which was the ultimate goal for me. It wasn't mm. the NBA or, or playing for Australia. I mean, that would have been unreal. But mm. I set a goal as a kid, and I just really wanted to be a king. And mm. and it was awesome that I just loved basketball. My school holidays were catching the train up to the stadium. And, shooting around and then catching the train back and mm. trying to be a kid. But mm. yeah, I mean, at the time I found it fun. I found it fun to work hard. I found it fun to mm. go up and shoot around. I found it fun to be fit. Mm. I found it fun to compete. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah. And that's what, yeah. Competing. That, that, that's one that I see in kids now that they, everyone gets a trophy and everyone does this, but you, you, if you, you got to want to win, you got to want to be better than those people in front of you. And, I, I did, you know, and yeah, lucky enough it, it paid off for me. But I tell you, you mentioned that um, the coach that said to me at state trials, you know, I never made a state team, I never made anything growing up. And yeah. um, that coach, I remember it was court three at Sutherland behind a grandstand. He looked at me and he said, uh, BJ, if you ever become a jockey, just let me know what horse you're riding and, and I'll put some money on it. And I got it. He was joking, but you know, it just reiterated, man, I, I'm small, and I think I never thought I was small until yeah. people mentioned it. I didn't care. I just went out in the basketball court and played, and I played my hardest, and I did what I did. But you yeah. know, then you start getting comments or people laughing or people asking your age. I'm 16, but I look eight, you know. <laughs> but I mentioned that. I, I had the interview in the paper one time, and I mentioned that. Yeah. And I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on social media at the moment, but I was at a time, and. Someone put that up, and that coach actually found me and texted me saying sorry. Wow, that's amazing! <laughs> it was. It was the, so I never mentioned who it was. Or I still yeah. I still won't publicly mention, but he knew who it was, and he, he wow. wrote me a message saying, "Mate, amazing, I'm remember making that. the comment." Yeah. And I apologise. So. How amazing is that? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, from one coach to another, you mentioned Gorge a few times, and I remember this article. So I looked it up just before the podcast, and. Um, it was a journalist that asked Gorgian about you and 
Great to see him back in the NBL, by the way. So, um, yeah, sure is. Back yeah. in there. But um, he mentioned that he was a good mentor to you, great coach. And he said, uh, well, this journalist again asked Gorgian about you. And he, and he said, I want to get this right. In my time coaching, 22 years of players, no one better. I don't say that about anyone. BJ is one of the guys we're most proud of. There's been some guys that have been unbelievably special during my time, but there's been no one better than this guy. If you ask any of the guys you respect in the game who have played here, they will all sing this kid's praises. So you're a kid in his eyes back then. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that he, was, called me, he called me Dennis the Menace when he first met me because he, oh, yeah. he, th- he thought I was 16, I was 22. So oh, yeah. he can call yeah. me a kid, mate. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind, obviously, you know, that's where you got to and I was towards the end of your NBL career. But um, seventh season in the NBL started in the 0102 season under Brett Brown, I believe. How did that come about? Um, you're a development player. Is that how things came about for you? Yeah, well, no, I mentioned back at the start, there, there was a bit of luck that came with yep. me kind of making it as a king and, yep. and, you, and you need that. Whether you're a stud, you know, down at the NBA Academy or whether you're making all the state teams or whatever, you, you're still going to need some sort of luck and that might just be yeah, staying yeah. injury-free. Um, my luck came about with the Sydney Olympics coming to, or the Olympic coming to Sydney and the Kings couldn't train at Homebush anymore. They needed a training venue, Mm. I guess, well and truly outside of that, that area. And they, they chose Sutherland Mm. and they rang Sutherland and they said, do you have anyone that can go down and train and just be an extra body? Mm. And John Suva, God bless him, kind of rang me up and said, head down to Sutherland they they need some players so I turned up and and for the first few trainings probably didn't do much sat there and ate protein bars and drank some free Gatorade (laughs) and got a pair of shorts and a singlet and if they needed an extra body or a rebound or whatever it was Mm. uh, 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 yeah someone to train against that that was me Mm. and then Brett Brown would come in and out because he was with the boomers and then Mm the development player uh, rule or, or the development player role got introduced and they were like, you can have a development player in your squad and they can travel on the road if you need and they, and they can suit up home games. And mm. um, yeah, Brett chose me to be one of them mm. and, that, and, that, and that's where it started. They kind of threw me a singlet and said, yeah. you're going to sign up and mm. sign this contract. And mm. um, yeah. And, and from there and then Brett, Brett left to go to the NBA, I think, and my heart dropped because I'm like, no one knows me. No one knows who I am. Mm. I, you know, I wasn't this stud growing up. Mm. They brought Brian Gorgian in. I was oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't have an agent. I, I, how, how am I going to tell this guy, hey, can I be the development player again? And yeah. So I just kept turning up to the trainings and, and kept getting the emails at the time or the text messages, trainings on here. and, mm. and yeah, he, he, he I, I would say, I feel like he liked me from the start. But I, again, mm. I think he liked me because he thought I was 16. He had me in a room <laughs> at where we trained and he said, do you want to go to college? And I said, oh, am I allowed? I signed a professional contract last year. He goes, oh, no, I think you're allowed. Um, I've, got, I've got a guy, how old are you? And I said, I'm 22. He nearly fell off his chair. <laughs> And he said, are you kidding? You're Dennis the Menace. I thought you were 16. Don't worry about college. Stay here and I'll develop you. That's great. And so, yeah, put me in as a development player. And and then Mm. from there, I was lucky enough to get into the full-time contract and 
do it full time. So yeah, that's that, that's how it started. Like I said, that bit of luck. If the, if the Kings didn't choose Sutherland as a training mm. venue, then yeah, then it mightn't have ever happened. But mm. um, yeah, I'm happy for that bit of luck because yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. special mate that's awesome uh, a lot of kids just you know dream of mate playing one game like myself and yeah that's seven seasons so it's obviously something to be thankful for but when you look back on your time obviously not just the NBL but you know played a number of years with the Sharks um, juniors and seniors played a season down in the Seabull with Ballarat Miners um, what are you most proud of um, obviously we'll come to the three championships that you're a part of there but um, with the Kings but yeah what are you most proud of in your time playing the sport um, uh, to be honest, it would be that I never gave up, you know, mm. like I, I never made state teams my last year in under 18s, you know, the way it worked for me, division one, bottom age, division two and top age, division one. And I get to my last year of under 18s and I'm looking around and, and, and the way things are tryouts are going, I'm like, oh, I'm not confident I'm going to make this team. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm still good enough to be in that team, and then all of a sudden the team gets read out. And I'm in Division Two, and I'm watching the the guys that I played with from under 12s all go over to this court, and I'm over this other court. My my world stopped, and then mm-hmm. we're not good enough. Or we don't even. Our coach ends up getting deported back to America. So my one of my closest mates, Jimmy McInerney. He's fresh out of under 18s, you know, in youth league. He decides, oh, I'll coach it. So he coached it, God bless him. And, mm. But we're not good enough. So we, make eight, eight, we play 18 Division 3. Mm. And, you know, for, for someone who's 17 at the time, thinking, I've got goals here to make the NBL. This is a huge setback. Mm. I look back now, I'm like, oh, I didn't give up. I, I didn't give up. And, I, and the, the coach I had that cut me, Craig Douglas, he, he was great. Don't get me wrong. He, he, he developed me through my juniors from under 12s to under 18s but he did cut me and then he's the youth league coach the next year well i'm like well i'm not going to make this team yeah and it wasn't until michael corcoran came along at sutherland again god bless him he he wanted to change the culture at sutherland it was a bit of a a beer drinking league up there the senior program and 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 you you do it because you like it but you don't take it that serious he Mm. wanted to change that and he went around and just grabbed all these juniors and saw people that were training and he tapped them, come and try out, come and try out. And, and mm. he changed the culture. And it was at that time, you know, the, the Kings came down to Sutherland and I was probably fit enough to, mm. to jump in. But yeah, it's um, yeah, ne- never giving up the, the, the perseverance of trying to make it. That, that's what I would be most proud of. And then, mm. you know, you, I know you're going to mention the championships. Yep, mm. the, the NBL championships were were fantastic to, mm. to be a part of that, to be a part of the first one ever at the Kings. Yeah. Great. But then what we did at Sutherland and those teams we had to win those three championships, mm. like, no, nope, they're not on TV. I mm. can't find kind of footage. But those teams, those teams were that good, Dan, to yeah. train with on Mondays and Thursdays and to play with on, mm. on Saturdays. We, we always joked. And it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. We always wanted to call from West Sydney to say, hey, do you guys want a trial game? Because we actually think we could have beaten them. Yeah, you know, we, we were that confident. We were that clicky. We just knew what everyone was doing. We trained that hard. We didn't want to let anyone down. There was mm. no egos. People wanted to be a part of it. You know, mm. you were young at the time, coming out of 18s, you and Congista. Mm. And that, 
you guys used to train before us, but you could see that you guys wanted to be a part of it mm, in the years sure. to come. Yeah. Um, and we loved that. And mm. Sutherland's never won anything in the senior program before. Right. Yeah. We won the first one and then we got a second one, we got a third one. And mm. Those years were really special. And I talk about my closest mates. Mm. I'm still in contact with all of them. Yeah. You know, and, and we still sit around now and we still talk about how good those days were. So mm. I've got a lot to be proud of, but you know, individually, like I said, it would go back to just never giving up. Mm. And then through that, through that, I got to win some championships in the ABA mm. with Sutherland and, and, and lucky with the NBL. So uh, yeah. through perseverance and hard work comes success. And that's, it. and that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah. That's great, mate. Yeah. I was going to mention those three championships with the Sharks because yeah, a lot of you guys came through the juniors together, I guess. And um, um, yeah, I was a lot younger and I was playing 18s and I used to, I mean, actually, it was my first um, year of youth league. I think we uh, tried out with you guys and got a glimpse of sort of the, the connection that was a part of that group. And uh, I was never going to make it at that point. But um, just that sense, like, you're like brothers almost, just the way you relate to one another. And it just showed me the importance of not just teamwork, but having that connection in terms of, you know, greater success. So how important is it um, from a team point of view, not just to focus on teamwork, but to sort of, harvest that culture or um, that connection within the group? Oh, man, I, I think it's the biggest. Mm. I, I think it's the biggest thing. If, if your group doesn't get along, then you're not going to win. Mm. Uh, you mentioned it with your podcast with, with Billy about man management. You were talking about some of the great coaches and, and, and the, the, they mightn't be great, the, the best coaches, but they're probably the best man managers. And mm. that, that's what coaches in the professional team have to do. They've got to man manage. You've got to man manage egos and, and, where these kids had come from or, or their, their, their backgrounds. Mm. Um, and that's what we didn't have at Sutherland. We didn't have any egos and we, we were, mm. we were brothers and anyone that was around that saw those, that team, those teams play, mm. we were just that connected. I remember Mark Gaze came into our team as an assistant coach yeah. and he stood up at our presentation, not trying to explain to the, to the 50 to hundred people that were out there, how close this team was. And he's there going, people are laughing. And he's like, you don't get it, guys. This mm. team are that close. And they're like, yeah, we get it. And he's like, you don't get it. <laughs> this team is that close. And, and we, yeah. we really were. You know, yeah. uh, Brendan Gleeson tells a story often that he threw a bad pass to Dane, or threw a pass to Dane Morris. And Dane Morris, rather than put two hands to catch it, only put out one and it fumbled out of bounds. Mm. And there was no yelling. There was just a look. He just gave Dane a look like, what are you doing? And Dane looked back at him and was like yeah i'm sorry and then you know from there it was just like oh, i'm going to get it back i'm going to get that ball back for you because i've disappointed mm. you for the, in that moment mm. it's, it's probably the biggest thing in professional sport is you watch you know kyle flanagan for example he just gets taken gets dumped from the roosters and now he goes plays for the bulldogs but mm -hmm. i know they have pre-season they live in each other's shadows but like you got to make that work you can't just pick people you can't pick the best guy Mm. And then go put them into another team. That's going to work. Mm. It's, it's not. You got to. You got to make it work and and somehow get these guys to be mates first and foremost. And that's why mm. sometimes I'm not the biggest NBA fan because it's very individualized. Yeah. Um, and and players, you, you wake up one morning and your suitcase packed and you're playing for another team across the mm. across the country. Mm. Um, you got to find a way to gel, and that's why the Melbourne Storm are so good. They find a way to to gel. Mm. Melbourne Tigers, back in the day with Andrew Gaze, they had that core. You know, if you weren't going to buy into Leonard Copeland's ways and Andrew Gaze's ways, you weren't going to fit. Mm. Mm. And, and you need that. You need that core stability.
Yeah, absolutely. For me, that's why, um, you know, we talk about Gorge being such a great man manager and coach. Um, when you look at those three championships with the Kings, you guys had such different teams from the first championship to the third, but yet it still seemed like you had that sort of connection and camaraderie about you guys. So um, if you can give us a bit of insight into how we did that um, with such different players and personnel, like you did have a call there, but again, you lost quite a few in that first season. So um, yeah, how did you go about that in terms of building that connection? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, you talk about that, that core in, I believe you need a core group, you know, like Merge Melbourne Storm, you got your Cameron Smith, your Billy Slater. I shouldn't mm. talk about him too much. I don't like him that one. <laughs> I wish they were the Sharks. Yeah. But he, uh, Gorge was the core, you know, Gorge okay. and Billy Tomlinson, they mm. were the core. Yep, we had different teams, but there were two coaches that were there for the, those whole, the, the whole time there winning that, that culture. Mm. And Laurie Watterson is the manager. Yeah. He's still they there. Were the core. <laughs> He's still there. Yeah. Um, you know, you got the likes of Shane Hill and Matty Nielsen the first year and then mm. turns to CJ Bruton and Matty Nielsen. Like, mm. Gorge was very careful about who he brought in mm. being the better player or that dominant figure. And, um, and he showed him a work ethic that, hey, I've got this. I've, Gorge demanded I've got a work ethic and you need to live up to a work ethic as well because mm. um, this isn't a league that you can just come over here and have a holiday. This is a good league. and especially with the Americans, he'd get every American off the plane uh, the day they landed and he wouldn't show them around the town, put them on a tour bus. He'd take them to the gym and he'd make them work hard and he'd try and, you know, just flush out the jet lag or whatever or let them know, hey, I'm, I'm getting you 500 shots the day you land. Just This, this, is, this is me letting you know I work hard, you know. Yeah. And he did that with every important... We had some import. I'll tell you what, we had some imports that just did not want to buy in. And when they didn't buy in, then guys would get into them. Jason Smith would get into them. I got confident enough that I could get into them. I, I knew the culture. I knew the winning ways. Jason mm. Smith had a win under, under Gorge. Mm. Um, yeah, it, but it all, at the end of the day, it all started with Gorge and, and his, the respect he demanded and uh, the culture that he wants to build. Uh, as a basketball team and as an organisation, it's it's going to be interesting to see him try to do that down at Wollongong. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. You mentioned you captain the Kings and you mentioned you sort of grew in that leadership ability. Definitely had that at the Sharks. By my time with that season I had there, I could see definitely a leader amongst men there. But um, yeah, three games, captain of the Kings. Um, what's important for um, a leadership point of view uh, for you? You know, what... Traits, characteristics did you bring into your role as captain, um, obviously as a leader? Um, what was important to you um, being captain of those clubs? Uh, probably the biggest one is like setting an example. If, you, mm. if, you're, if you're not going to do the things that you expect of other people, then you're not going to be a good leader in anything. And I'm talking business. I'm talking, you know, at a job site mm. or, in, or in sport. There's a lot of people that might scream, rant and rave because that's what they see on TV. but you don't have to be a, a loud leader, but you just got to be a leader that sets an example. And if mm. if, if you're not going to do that, then yeah, you, you won't be a good captain. You won't be elected captain. And if a coach elects someone like that mm. um, as a captain, they're, they're not the right coach. And mm. it goes back to coaching. Mm. You know, you're going to be a good coach if you lead by example um, and set the right standards and have the right philosophies. And I was lucky enough to play under 
some really good captains, Matt Nielsen, for example, mm. Jason Smith, um, Shane Hill, it, Shane Hill, yeah. Um, and yeah, pulling guys into line when when they need to, but also being accountable for your own mistakes. And I mm. think that's one thing as a captain. Mm. It doesn't mean you're flawless. It doesn't mean you you're never going to make a mistake. If you can put your hand up and go, "Yep, my fault. Shouldn't have done that," or uh, Whatever, just admitting to your your faults and your mistakes, I think that's being accountable is a big thing about being a leader and mm. and always kind of learning and communicating the right way. Um, yeah. And then also, I think I think some some people are just born to be born to be natural leaders. I think you can train mm. to an extent, but some mm. people are just natural leaders. Some people, yeah. um, I can only imagine right now, you know, a Kawhi Leonard. I haven't heard that guy speak his whole career. Um, but the guy plays hard and he's, a, he's one of the best players you know, in the world at the moment. But he mightn't be a talker. He just might lead by example. You know, mm. Jason Smith was a great captain because mm. he didn't scream at people. But if he did, you knew why. Mm. And, but he would just lead by example every training session and every game. And um, yeah, you learn off that and you try and take it to, to somewhere else, whether it's workplace or, or you know, down at ABA and mm. get people to buy in. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Uh, we can talk to you all day, but a couple more questions to finish up on is um, obviously dabbled in coaching, coached the uh, Southern Sharks side um, after finishing up playing there and um, had the opportunity to sow into young kids and, and bring them through. But I know you're on the board now, I see, at the Sharks as well. <laughs> I saw that the other day. I was like, oh, good. Yeah, okay. yeah, so, yeah. But it goes to the point of the importance of, and I know a lot of cultures around the world do this well. Our culture in the West, I don't believe, does that very that well is passing down, you know, whether that's experience, skills, ex- yeah, experiences to the next generation. And I feel like that's such an important thing and that's, it goes to the heart of being a good mentor as well. So, um, yeah, I see that that's something that you value and you're doing that with the kids at Sutherland and uh, through coaching and also your own kids. Um, but how important is it to pass down these experiences that you've had in your life and um, these skills and these virtues, these characteristics to the next generation? And what does that look like? Oh, it's, 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 yeah, it's really important. You know, again, I mentioned Bill Tomlinson's when you spoke to him, he, uh, he said he'll finish up in China or, or whatever coaching, but he won't finish coaching. He'll always give back because someone mm. always gave something to, to him. And I think that's, that's really important um, to do that. And that's why I, I wanted to coach. I, I always had a, a, an interest in coaching when I, when I thought I'll finish playing mm. and I loved my, my first two years you know, I was lucky enough to get coach of the year uh, in, 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 the, in the competition and, and we were successful. We were winning. I think um, I spiraled away from my beliefs and, and my work ethic through, I didn't have the balanced life at the time. I was going through some personal battles and, and that affected the, the way I coached and I didn't put in the effort that I needed to and I wasn't a great leader. I definitely wasn't leading by example. I was the last one to training and the first one to leave and, and finally I was thinking I was man enough to go you know what, I'm, I'm not doing these guys, I'm doing these guys more harm than I am good mm. by being their coach. So I, I stepped aside yeah. and, and they've been successful since, since I've left um, through just having someone there that, that, that's passionate about being there. But, mm. but when I was there, it was the coaching side of things was, was great. I got to, I started to replicate Gorgian. And I remember having Travis Lane, it was, he was an assistant at North and he came mm. up and he goes, you look like Gorgian when you coach. <laughs> I'm like, 
one, I, I, I took it as a compliment, but I was also like, you know what? I, I don't need to be good. I need to be me. I, mm. I can take everything that Gorgian has taught me or Billy yeah. Thompson's taught me through my career, but I don't have to talk like them or act like them or yeah. scream, rant and rave. I just, I need to coach. And that's, that's one thing I'm mm. seeing with some junior coaches. They don't coach. They mm. just yell because yeah. they, maybe they're not educated or they're not doing enough training. And mm. I'd love to see it. it a coach is a teacher. You got to, we want to teach these guys some skills and, and it's, it is hard work. So mm. like I said, I stepped away from it and joined the board um, just to try and, and help instill some, um, some ideas uh, from a general public or not from a business point of view, from a general public or from a guy that played up at Sutherland and yeah. um, see if we can get that thing humming again. But yeah, uh, yeah mate, it's really, it's really important for, for people to give back where, where they can, but, Mm. I try to give back with my kids. I try to coach them where I can and um, mm. get them up to the up to yeah. the stadium or, or to the footy field, whatever they want to do, and yeah, um, yeah coach them and give back to with whatever I can. Mm. That's awesome, mate. Great to hear. Uh, just before we finish up, uh, a few quick fire questions. Uh, best player you played with? Sharks mm. or Kings or Miners? Oh. Uh, best player I ever played with. Oh, yeah. oh, I have to say Matty Nielsen, to be honest. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a great bloke. I roomed with him for the one or two years we played together. He's, he was a great player, but, you know, so probably something that's not mentioned about him. He's a great bloke off mm. the court. Mm. Um, and then the other one would be um, Russell Hinder. Yeah. Glenn Savile, they're, they're up there. Savile's... Yeah. Um, Rusty's still one of my closest mates. You know, he lives in the States now. We stay in contact. And mm. Great dude, great family man, great player, funny, the, one of the funniest guys I know. Mm. Uh, I mentioned the guys from Sutherland before, but yeah, Dane Morris and Robbie McKinley, mm. Blake Hendricks, they, they were, Brent Gleason, they, they were great guys to play with. So. Yeah, absolutely. Lucky, yeah. I was lucky. Absolutely. Uh, best teammate? Is there a best teammate out of any of those? Doesn't necessarily, be, necessarily need to be the best player, but... You know, brought the jokes to training, had a bit of laugh. Yeah, probably the 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 guys I mentioned, Sav and um yeah. and, and Rusty Hinder. Yeah, uh, they were just my kind of guys. They they didn't live and breathe basketball. But they um you know on the court we loved it. Off the court we got to talk about something else. You know, talk mm. about surfing or just have a genuine joke. Um, like I said, Rusty was one of the probably the funniest blokes I know, and mm. and and Sav and Sav and I hit it off. The, the year that we played together so they were great from that that perspective and again i i, I like to always mention the sutherland guys because that they were just they're, they're just my closest mates now and mm. keep mentioning them but i could go on and on and on about some of the guys guys that i played with at sutherland mm. they were you know better blokes than they were players mm. and and they were really really good players and i think some of them could have made it and um yeah and yeah, yeah great guys and just finally, uh, best game you played? Is there any game that stands out? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Surely, mate. Surely. No, uh, yeah, probably the, the last championship we won for Sutherland. Mm. Um, I think the, the first few championships we won, we had Cameron Tovey playing with us, mm. and he was just a wrecking ball. He was unbelievable. Mm. Um, and so the last year, not having him, I felt like I had to step up a little bit and had a career high and, and, and mm. we, we won on the road. It was up in Central Coast and mm. um, 
he had 37 that game. So I, I think that, yeah. that that game stands out for me, um, and especially in a big game, mm. a grand final, you know. Mm. And then, yeah, yeah. And then in the NBL, um, in the NBL, there, there, there was a couple, but there's one that, like, there was a game where CJ Bruton was injured and Luke Kendall was injured. And me and Luke Martin were, were both the backup one and two. And mm. we had to hold the fort while these guys were out for a few weeks. And we beat, mm. we ended up beating West Sydney. And, mm. and it was only 11 points, but it was 11 points that I probably needed to have for us to win. And, mm. and like I said, it was a big game because West Sydney at the time were really, really good. So mm. that and, you know, couple of games I, I think i had 20 points one game that was always that was always good to kind of yeah rack up rack up some <laughs> yeah. points and um yeah i think games in the nbl for me was when guys got injured i got a bit more of an opportunity mm. um yeah i mentioned luke candle he got injured and i had to step up and play his role we played wollongong and mm. i think my stat line was five points five rebounds five assists so things like that where i just contributed across the board was was good mm. yeah. stepping up where i needed to so that's great, mate. Yeah. Good memories. Good times, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's good to rehash it all with you, mate, and appreciate your time today. Uh, but, uh, BJ, thanks for joining the More Than A Game podcast. Nah, good on you, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate.